Hi there, I'm Mark Icero, and this is the Highlighter Podcast. Hello and welcome to the 18th episode of the Highlighter Podcast. Very, very excited that you're here to listen. It's going to be a great episode. Before we get to that episode, I want to thank everybody who came out last Thursday night to the Highlighter Happy Hour number two over in Oakland. There were 28 of you there, all told, so it was great. It was great to have everybody there talking about the articles and also meeting other wonderful people. So just want to let you know also that we're going to have it again highlighter happy hour number three is going to be in San Francisco in a few weeks. More details about that soon. So now I'm totally excited to announce to you who the guest is this week. For the first time ever, a former student of mine is on the show, and I'm very excited to have her. Her name is Katie Parker. She's going to be talking about food, and she's going to be talking about gentrification and also appropriation. So let's get right to it. This is Katie Parker. Well, hi, Katie. How are you? Great. How are you? It is going great. Thank you so much for asking. Thank you so much for being on the show. I wanted to see if you could introduce yourself to the audience. Sure. Um, I'm Katie Parker, and my maiden name is Hiragoyan, and I used to be a student of yours back when you taught in Fremont. And uh, we were in We the People, and we made it to state. We did make it to state. And for folks who don't know about We the People, it was pretty serious. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was a gover- it was a government class, but it was more than that. Uh, from your perspective, what, what was it and why were you in the class? It was, I got into it because it was kind of like an option of, you know, honors government. And it sounded, it, it was, I think even it was explained to us that, oh, this is kind of different, even signing up for it. We had to take a test and you're, it's going to be about the Constitution and civics. And um, it appealed to, I think it was, you know, a few of my friends were in it too. Was, oh, let's go for it. Okay. And uh, yeah, we didn't know, I don't think signing up for it, we knew what an adventure it was going to be with the, you know, going to Sacramento and uh, memorizing as much as we did and learning. I think we were pretty engaged for, uh, and especially for the time, because that was right about, the 2000 election. So we graduated in 2000. So things were starting to heat up. Definitely. We did not know about that election yet, but mm-hmm. I remember it was the first time that I had taught government. And also it was, um, this class had sort of like a long tradition of going to the state competition. And so here I was a fairly young teacher mm-hmm. and all that, I mean, I never, I don't think that I ever told you all, but it was like, okay, I just need to make sure that we do a good job, you know? And, <laughs> and it was sort of like this intense sort of thing where I think that you just put a whole lot of trust in me because before me, you know, there, there was this teacher who had been there for a long time and, and she did great. And I still remember when we were called in to go to Sacramento and it was like, oh, finally, you know, we got to go. Um, <laughs> Did you think that did you think that it was a surreal experience or did you just expect that we were going to go to the competition? It was surreal for me. (laughs) 
I don't know what I was expecting, but it was definitely like, wow, this is, and when we were, I think the final day, maybe it was, that we were actually at the Capitol doing our speeches there, it was like, wow, this is where people who are actually politicians sit, right here. It was crazy. And we were actually, our group was the first to go to the finals, finals. Mm -hmm. um, the, the school had gone to the competition, but not to the final day. And so that was, I just thought it was, it was the best thing. Um, now, sort of removed from that, you know, now you're no longer a student, obviously, in high school, but you know, politics are crazy. Do you think that the We the People experience would have prepared you for anything that's going on now? <laughs> that's a good question. I, I always try and think to myself, like, maybe it always prepares me. Like, I look, I look at it through, like, you know, you taught us how to read articles in, like, a critical way. And, you know, like, you, you've always said, even in this podcast, look at an article, the source, what they're trying to say, you know, and look at the actual facts in the article and where do they get those facts, all that that we learned, you know, we kind of learned a lot of that in your class. So it's hopefully helped me as an adult. I, I like to think, I like to think I, you know, do pretty good with the information I get, but I guess everyone does, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember, I think you were in unit two, is yeah. that correct? And that was about like the founding period and, mm -hmm. It's just so funny, given that that unit I felt was about like maybe one of the most patriotic units because it's like who can go wrong with Madison and mm -hmm. and all those founders and all the framers, and now it's sort of like wow, you know what kind of government you know do we have? Oh but you know God. what, no. <laughs> I, I, I still have a lot of hope. Maybe we can figure it out. But I feel, Katie, though I feel like you were a reader even before that class. So can you say a little bit more about? Um, sort of like your life in reading and how it's sort of changed. I mean, I'm very excited that you are a subscriber to The Highlighter, but can you say a little bit more about that? Sure. So, um, I mean, I was, I've always been a reader since I was a kid, so you're right, but I'm, I'm like kind of a slow reader. Like, so I know some people could read like two or three books in a weekend. I, I can't, I kind of get, you know, absorbed into different passages and stuff, but um, I love The Highlighter. I read a few other newsletters. Um, uh, Len, I think I told you before, I read Lenny Letter, which is kind of more geared, like I would say maybe feminist, I don't know. Um, but it's kind of entertaining. It's, it's not very heavy. And um, I love reading, you know, newspaper kind of sections. And book-wise, you know, I was an English major, so I read a ton of fiction, obviously, doing that. But anymore as an adult, I... I read like mostly nonfiction memoirs and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, reading the highlighter, really love reading these kind of articles. So every Thursday when I get this, I'm like, yes, it's Thursday at nine ten, And, uh, you know, if I have time at work, I'll put them up and I'll read, you know, every hour I'll kind of read about 10 minutes of one and kind of go through the next one. It's, it's pretty interesting. And a lot of times, like I've told you, I'll have a discussion with my husband. I read this article and, you know, what do you think about that? This thing about your husband I'm interested in as well, mm -hmm. because some people who <laughs> subscribe, their partner does also subscribe, but then some people don't even want to talk about the articles with it. So what is your style with your husband? I'll say, hey, I read this really interesting article that, that I, you know, I, I still call you Mr. Icero. <laughs> Mr. Icero. <laughs> 
sent me. And, you know, what do you think about that, especially if it's political? Because, um, you know, he and I are very similar, but then he tries to be, um, tries to see it from another angle, you know, like, well, maybe there's another point here or something. So, you know, and then sometimes we'll go off on a tangent, but, you know, and I'll, then sometimes I do move on to another article. And, you know, for this, uh, for this week, since, you know, I knew we were going to talk about the food related articles, I talked to him a lot about it, actually. And I was like, well, what do you think about that? And, you know, do you think that's fair or where do you draw the line and stuff like that to get your, you know, opinion on that? Because he, he definitely has opinions, but he's like, like, you know, like he said, I don't want to be on this podcast, though, because I sound smart in my house, yeah, but I'm well, not sure how I'll sound on a podcast. In, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm trying I'm to figure either. it out myself. Yeah, I mean, the it is interesting <laughs> because on the food article, so I'm really happy that you want to talk about the food article, which talked about the difference between soul food and Southern cooking seems like this is something that you have been interested in. When you read it this time, what were your first impressions? Uh, so reading the one from High Snobiety, Snobriety, um, The Gentrification of Soul Food, uh, I, I just really, it's like that uh, saying, I believe everything it's, <laughs> it's telling me because it's exactly what I want to hear. I, I couldn't agree more with the article, really. Um, it's, and then I was, when I was reading it, you know, the first page or so, I was thinking to myself, it's just like when we had jazz and rock and roll, they were African-American forms of music that white people co-opted and made money off of. And then they mentioned that in the article. Was, Agree with It was with like that. you predicted the second or third page of the article. Yeah, but I mean, it's, you know, and then the, the question becomes there, like, you know, of course, to me, there's no argument. Paula Dean, she's a bigot, right? She's kind of a horrible person, at least from what we hear, right? Um, that, you know, there's no denying if she actually said those things, she's kind of a horrible person. But, you know, are, are the Rolling Stones horrible because they took blues and, you know, rock and made it into something? I, so that's where it's hard for, where do you decide what is paying homage to something versus what is making money? Right, you know, exactly. Being and there's also at least one extremely excited highlighter subscriber who's been on the podcast, Marnie, and and she uh, loves Justin Timberlake, just absolutely. And so I think that it's probably <laughs> difficult for her to not listen to him, even though a lot of people say that he's appropriated music as well. You said that there might be a line here, you know, I guess, between appropriation and appreciation. Where do you draw that line? And when you talk, say, to your husband or to other people, what have they said? I don't know. Maybe to me it's, well, I, I was kind of talking to them yesterday. Like, maybe it's the spirit of the thing. Like, are you approaching it with respect? You know, are you... So, you know, another thing I just saw recently was, um, I haven't been to the shop yet. It's uh -huh. called the Ramen Shop in Oakland. And some former chefs of Chez Panisse that made a ramen shop. and But they went to Japan and made sure they did everything exactly how a ramen shop is in J Japan. Is that profiting off of ramen? Or are they trying to bring it to people? You know, so I don't, I don't know, right? Um, you know, and I talked to my, my sister-in-law is Chinese-American. And she said she was actually more upset with people who, 
didn't know something. In other words, hey, right. I've never heard of dim sum. What is that? Why don't you know about that? You've lived in in the Bay Area for thirty years, so <laughs> so that was her, you know, almost like yeah, the, I, the opposite I agree of with it. You, you know, like sometimes I'm ignorant to a lot of things, and yes, maybe I should be doing my homework. And and I find though that sometimes um, when I have, let's say, I'm talking to somebody, and then they ask a question out of ignorance, I sometimes appreciate that in some ways it's like at least they're at least they're trying to understand mm -hmm. and at least they're trying to engage um rather than sort of like having no appreciation or no curiosity would you agree with that yeah i would and you know you kind of uh at least for me when i ask questions i always am afraid maybe this is going to be a stupid question but you know so it, it is amount of being brave it takes to ask someone i'm sorry what is this that i'm eating right i know i should know I guess but <laughs> my question especially you know? in such a diverse area as the bay area like let's say so so as a white person i guess my question is like why am i and other white people not actually going to ramen places like why are some white people sort of more comfortable in a ramen a ramen place run by a white mm -hmm. person like that's the thing that i don't understand it's like for some reason like right. the sort of trendy places where white people see more white people are somehow safer to eat at and i'm trying to figure mm -hmm. out that like what is the actual difference and then why can't white right. people feel more comfortable taking the next step and maybe feeling a little uncomfortable what's your view on that uh well I, i'm someone who i actually prefer restaurants that are like you said, maybe it would be a little more uncomfortable. I can't read the menu. It's not in English. Um, you know, I might have to point at something. Um, and it's great. And sometimes I feel like it, the food tastes better. You know, if you like, you know, if you like foods that are pretty diverse, Fremont, I think, is really great for that. And you don't, you know, it's not very glamorous, but you're going to get a lot of we have a ton of Thai, Indian, Vietnamese, um, Chinese, and they're all, to me, we have our favorites that Yeah, really I remember love. even so. when I was teaching in Fremont, and especially at our school, it, it was extremely diverse, and yet the community was trying to figure out what to do with that diversity. And so now, I mean, and I also, I actually work in mm -hmm. Hayward now, which is different from Fremont, but similar in some ways. How do you feel like the community there has um, changed, especially in the last five to 10 years? Is, do you feel like that there is a little bit more curiosity um, and also more acceptance? Or is it also still a little bit, because I felt like um, back then there was a little bit of fear of the, cha of the changes in the community. Mm -hmm. How would you um, characterize it now? I would say I still, you know, if, judging by i don't know if you can judge by a group you know like i belong to a few fremont groups on facebook i don't know if you could judge by the comments there but i think it's a generation thing so i'm noticing the people who are commenting i wish fremont was how it was you know, you know they are more of the older generation so it's you know it's hard also to see you know the cost of housing go up right which is it's just that's a change that doesn't necessarily have to do with one thing or another. So it's just all a bunch of changes that I think maybe um, younger people are a little more. And when I say younger, I don't know if I mean younger than I don't know what age, but you, I don't know. Maybe it's a generalization, too. 
but it's um they're more comfortable with it or trying different things you know like oh i think i'm gonna go to uh you know this new place that just opened that's um does burmese food i don't know let's try it okay um so diversity i'm seeing it a lot more with people being very accepting and also um the you know the narrative especially in this you know current political climate is fremont is a safe place it's a diverse place we welcome immigrants you know you should feel safe here you've helped us build build the community well and make it as good as it is is that i do feel like the bay area sometimes is um everybody says that they're a certain way but there is actually a lot of political diversity and i remember when teaching at fremont I think that we mm-hmm. did a very good job, and not just in We the People, but also in the other government classes that I taught. There, there was a recognition that there was a political diversity, but actually people knew how to talk to each other across difference, which I would argue is much harder to pull mm-hmm. off in places like Berkeley or Oakland or San Francisco. Um, I guess my question to you is, you know, you have your sort of political um, sort of your political development, do you find yourself now, especially in our political climate, um, are you finding that Mm -hmm. your filters have gone up and that your bubble has sort of developed? Or do you find yourself also talking to people who are different? It's kind of hard to say because, you know, I, we do live in a bubble, you know, even family wise, we all kind of lean somewhere in the middle or the left. And it's just hard to say because I I do know people who were more Republican. And in this current climate, they're like, well, I'm conservative, but I'm not like, you know, X, Y, Z. So I don't know. I don't know where I am now. So it's, you know, in general, I like you said, maybe in this area or or I don't know, it's it is a little easier to talk politics with people. But having said that, um you know, there is, I have talked to people who are still pro-Trump and I've got to be honest, that's kind of, you know, I, I try and see where they're coming from, or, yeah. but it's just, it's kind of hard. I could, I could see where people are coming from if they're just Republican in general or conservative. But well, and I also me, think, you know, different. going back to the article too, this idea about appropriation, I feel like some of the terms that some people are comfortable talking about, say, for example, white privilege and appropriation and all of these terms that I would argue used to be more of the vocabulary of of sort of elitist colleges. Now now I feel like more folks Mm -hmm. are starting to talk about it and it is creating more of a discord um, where like as an educator, for example, as a white educator, I think that I've been sort of comfortable with at least the vocabulary for a while. But even with my friends who are mm-hmm. outside education, um, it may be it may be newer. So I think that that's partly also why it's so hard because somebody might read this article about like um, about fried chicken and just say, you know what? It's just fried chicken. Mm-hmm. Everybody has fried chicken. Like, why can't we just enjoy the fried chicken? Right. Um, what do you say? What would you say to to somebody who would argue back like what is the big deal here like why can't we just go out and eat the food that we want i would say you know and like you said bringing into that the the hot chicken article 
Um, and it, you know, it seemed to me that in that article, the, you know, the, the writer of the article who I really, I actually really enjoyed his, his writing style. He's just having an adventure and he's trying to get that capsaicin, you know, he's not in, entirely looking at it from, you know, he, he brings up history, but he just, he wants an adventure, but he does admit, you know, the tourist place where all, all the tourists fly into that hot chicken place is not authentic. It's not really authentic. Like for instance, princes is. So from the lens of should people just be enjoying this or should they know the history looking at both the articles, you know, like you said, these are these, you know, especially African-Americans, you know, you could look at any, you know, quote, you know, poor population through history. Like I'm part Mexican, you know, they, they, took food that is, you know, the best they could get and they didn't want to waste it and they turn it into something delicious. And that's a lot of what, you know, African-American food was about. Um, they, you know, like it said, pork rinds, kind of a, you know, not the best cut of the pork. They turn into something that is really delicious. And, you know, I think knowing that history and then knowing even in modern times, you know, modern day, current contemporary times that so many of these populations have food deserts. So they're trying to do the best they can that, you know, with the ingredients that they have to make it nutritious and tasty. I think it is important to know. Um, but I don't know how you would go about informing people, you know, because I do agree with you that it is important, but, how do you make sure the tourists know that, you know, the origins of this, that they're just, you know, paying $25 for this chicken? Yeah, and I would, you know? I would also say that so many of these debates and issues and deep debates where people are just not able to talk to each other, mm -hmm. it, as a history teacher, mm -hmm. like, it comes down to, for me, and I'm sure a lot of people, about the fundamental place of slavery in our history that we still we still have not been able right. to actually even begin to talk about and and I remember like sometimes when I would teach about slavery um, a lot of students would just say hey I already know about it why do we always have to talk about it and yet um, that was like the most important thing so whether it's about food whether it's about appropriation mm -hmm. whether about whether or not it's about sort of like people in our government talking about the the cause of the civil war it just seems like slavery continues to to be at the forefront of what we need to talk about uh, yeah i definitely agree i mean you know in light of the black lives matter movement it's like well why well everyone matters well why do we well no we need to talk about this you know it's like the analogy of the well, this person's house is on fire and this person's isn't. Well, all houses matter. Yes, but let's pay attention right. to the one on fire yeah, right now. Totally. You know, going back to the, you know, food and the history of slavery. Uh, if you had read the. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Afro Thank culinaria. you for that. Yeah. And so I, I kind of read um, the his speech that he had just done in. Um, it sounded like maybe at the Culinary Institute with Jeffrey Penn. But um, he kind of goes into that, like you said, we, you know, he wants this to be, I liked his quote, um, collaborative, but also confrontational. 
Like, I know you don't want to talk about slavery, but we need to address this so we can move forward. But we have to address it and not pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. And I think that that's hard because I think that especially in mixed groups, um, people of color, even though the conversation is necessary, often have a lot of the burden to stay in those conversations um, uh, where white people um, need to sort of be educated. And unfortunately, like, it's just, there's never really great ways to do it, but the, the solution cannot be not to do it. Um, it's, it's like, I guess right. nobody really likes conflict, but conflict is the only way forward, um, whether it's about appropriation or any of these issues. Yeah. And like you said, the awareness does bring conflict. Like right now, people are talking more about it. But, you know, maybe that's a good thing in the long run because it makes yeah, more people aware. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. I really still want to believe in this perhaps naive notion that by continuing to be in conflict, that we will get somewhere. Like, I've, I'm also reading a whole lot about what's happening at college campuses now and, and how there's actually open protest, you know, during classes and, and how a lot of people are like, oh, that's horrible, yeah. that's horrible. I still want to believe in what actually is the truth and so if the truth right now is that we are deeply divided and the truth is right now that we Mm -hmm. are in conflict it's not like trying not to be in conflict would would resolve the issue right um katie i have to awkwardly say thank you and i have to awkwardly (laughs) say thank you so much for being on the show i wish that we could talk for more but you know, maybe, maybe next time we could have like a two or three hour show. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. I want to thank Katie yet again for coming on the show. I thought that it was just really wonderful to hear her views and And it's also great to have a former student. Don't you think that all former students should subscribe to The Highlighter? I definitely think that would be a good thing. If you agree with me that Katie was great, please let me know. And there's several ways you can do it. You can go over to iTunes and and rate the show and offer a review. Or you can email me at mark at highlighter.cc with your views. A lot of people, because they're listening to the podcast, it's harder for them to get over to email. But definitely do so. I want to see who's listening and who's appreciating the show. Also, I want to let you know that this Thursday at 9.10, as usual, there's going to be the newsletter, so be looking for that. But also for the month of November, starting this Thursday, there's going to be a contest. So be looking for that. There's going to be huge prizes, and I'm really looking forward to seeing who is really into this competition. So be looking for that. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great, great week, and I'll see you on Thursday at 9.10 a.m. Have a great week.